Hey, if you would turn to the book of Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, if you're a guest today, I welcome you, I'm thrilled that you're here, encourage you to fill out your connection slip and throw it in the basket there, Um, if you're here, you're probably thinking, oh goodness, you saw the program on the front, and you thought, the first Sunday I come back to church or visit this church, they're talking about the M word, money. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a few, a little history on that, a little bit of review I gave last week. Churches often talk about money. What did we say they always talk about? The big number one thing last week. What is it? Hello? Giving. Yeah, the big G word, giving. Well, we will get to that, but I want to help you first. Uh, I want to build up to that so that you understand the foundation of why we always get to that. <clears throat> but the reason we're talking about it, you can, re- you can listen online to my introduction last week, which basically gave a much a little deeper presentation as to why I'm talking about it now. Uh, number one, it's because God talks about it a lot. There's over 2,000 verses in the scriptures where the Bible talks about it, Jesus talks about it, God talks about it. Why? Because Jesus is concerned about your personal life. And whatever concerns your life, he is concerned about. So most of us are concerned at some point during seasons of our life about money. And so the Bible doesn't just talk about spiritual lofty things. It talks about very practical things. Secondly, the gospel, the good news is that God has acted in Jesus Christ to save us. He's come to rescue us, reconciling us to himself because of his work on the cross, redeeming us and giving us new life in Christ. We become new creatures in Christ. The old is gone thank goodness, uh, is passing away, but the new is coming. But hear me, while this is true of our spirit and, and, and our life and everything and our character, it really wants to, God wants it to affect every area, dimension of our lives, the spiritual and the practical. And that includes your money and your stuff. All that I am, all that I have, wants to be redeemed, bought back from the world thinking and brought into a spiritual alignment with God's ways and purposes. So it's important for us to talk about it and to understand how God sees this part of our life because most of us, or or I'll say many of us, really don't have a good theological understanding of the place of money in the kingdom of God, which ultimately then needs to be worked out in your life. We have a pretty narrow understanding of it. I'll tell you what I'm not talking about or what I'm talking about, finances and resources and goods. I'm not doing it because the church is in need. Again, listen to last week. Um, you know, My introduction last week will give you a little bit more information on that. But I've never talked about money when this church was low in dough. I've never done that because I said, when, when God called me here, either you're going to do it because, number one, I'm not a salesman. I'm not a money pusher. I'm not, I just, you know, I'm going to trust God to do it. And if I got to, I got to become a salesman up here and really push for stuff, that's the day I'll quit. Because I really believe if God's in it, it will happen. 
but I need to talk about it from a pastoral perspective to help you and to help your wife. So last week, we looked at what money says. It said what? Serve me. Serve me. See, many people get money, and it starts saying. No, it doesn't start saying. You know what it starts shouting? Spend me. <laughs> Spend me. I mean, it starts burning a hole in our pockets. What can I buy? What do I want? How many of you think of spending before you think of saving? Well, maybe let's do a real true confession time. Like, this service, listen, you're a little bit more conservative and reserved. And I've I got to break you out of that just a little bit. So we're going to have a little confession time here. Are you ready? Second service, I mean, first service was really poor at this. And, but I'm going to give you the opportunity to show yourself. So most of us are spenders, and I mean, uh, we're either spenders or we are savers or frugal. So let's just confess right now. How many of us are a spender? I don't think you're any better than first service. How many of you are savers? How many of you would not declare because you're in church? That's really funny. You guys are really... You get in this money thing, man, everybody gets really serious. Well, Trina and I, we were at this uh, uh, wedding party the other night, Friday night, and I don't know how it came up at the table, but I heard a statement. It kind of flashed in my mind. I'm not exactly sure. Maybe it was said this way, maybe not. But I was thinking about Trina and I, and she's not in here. She's hearing this now over in the nursery. So you can just go in and bugger about this all you want. Uh, she says a lot of things about me, but not as publicly. And... Uh, <clears throat> And listen, just so you, listen, ladies, just so you don't, you know, start hissing me and, you know, booing me off the stage. We have this deal. I can share anything about her and our life, and she can share anything about me and our, our life. So we're really open, okay? But when we got married, she was a, well, a spender. And I just, I grew up poor, and, and I just said, man, I, that's really hard for me. And so um, we were at this wedding party, and I heard this statement. And I thought about it because somebody was talking about checks and balances. I says, yeah, that sounds like Trina's in my relationship. She writes the checks, and i got to balance the books, you know. And uh, no, she's grown so much, and we have a, you know, we've worked it out. But in a lot of marriages, isn't that a problem? Isn't that difficult? You know, because one's a spender, one's a saver. And, and what I realized, it's not, it's not so much malicious. It's just that, you know, you know, she always rounds up. If something's $10, I mean, if something's $100, it was like $10.99 and uh, rounds down and, and it's just how, and it's not like she's even trying to do it. It's just how she thinks. And, and, and so when I talk about this, I'm not trying to be mean-spirited or anything. Ben Franklin said this, if you're short on money, here's the remedy. There's two ways of solving money problems. Number one, augmenting your means or diminishing your wants. What he's basically saying is either make more money or spend less. And so today we're going to talk about our spending and what that looks like in the kingdom because money is very clear. It says, spend me. It's the easiest thing in the world to do with money. We're a nation of spenders. We're recreational shoppers, aren't we? We live with, many live with this urge to splurge. I've got it. I want to spend it. Some spend all they make. They don't save and they don't give. They just simply spend it all. Some spend more than they make, and you're in deep weeds right now. And that's no way to live. God's got a better plan and idea for you. And for so many, listen, let's face it, spending is great fun until when? The bill arrives. And for some of us, guess what? 
Let me see, today's the 19th. We probably started receiving some of those Christmas bills now, haven't we? And we're going, oh, we can't remember what we bought. But the secret, to, uh, the secret is this, loved ones. If you want the best financial advice in the world, it's simply this. Spend less than you make. Tell the person next to you. This is the key takeaway today. Spend less than you make. Go ahead and tell somebody next to you. Because the truth is, most of us in the United States, it's not that we don't make enough or don't earn enough, it's that we spend way too much. We're a nation of spenders. That's why we're called the consumer nation, the consumer generation. What an interesting label. This is really what it points to and means. Greed. I want more. Discontent. I'm tired of the old stuff. Give me something new. Or impulse spending. I've got to have it now. I am not an impulse spender. Um, you, you can ask Trina this. I mean, she'll, she'll, she'll verify this. She'll say, oh, just get that, honey. Just get it. And, and I'll go, nope, 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 nope. Well, it's only like $32 pair of pants. I go, nope, nope, nope. I'm going to walk out. I'm going to go think about it. And then if I really want it, I'll come back. Can I tell you something? I, I, there's a lot of things I haven't bought because that's how I do it. I had this car. This 99 Honda, perfect car, never a dent in it. And I told, I think I told this service, one of the services, and, but it got totaled the first week of December by my son. And he was fine, but I never had a dent in it. And I was, listen, I was kind of getting a little ratty in the paint job, but it got totaled. And Katrina works on the other side of Walnut Creek. Most guys, you know, most guys, you go, whoa. Yeah, a new car. You know, man, they'd be down. It took me three weeks just to start looking. And then when we got, and I finally got it, I just, oh, I love my new car, but oh, not that much. Because I haven't made a payment yet, but I know the payment, well, except for the down payment, but I got to make a payment and it's going to kill me because I've had a car payment for like 11 years. And, I, and a car is not that important to me. And so, man, I haggled that thing. But some of us just love to spend. I want to talk to you. I want to show you today in the scriptures a guy that was a spender and simply greedy. And Jesus says some significant things to him. So if you would, Luke chapter 12, we're going to look at verse 22. So if you see me driving around a new car, just know that, well, it's kind of cool. Uh, but I don't like the, 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 the financial part of it. <laughs> Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Jesus, let me give you the context, because Jesus is talking in the, he's talking about some heavy deal, heavy duty things here. He's talking about religious hypocrisy. And then he's talking about the importance of fearing God. And then he's talking about the importance that every person needs to acknowledge God before people on earth so that God can acknowledge people before God in heaven. These are some pretty weighty things. Then he gets to this, this parable. Now, understand a parable is a heavenly story with an earthly meaning. So Jesus kind of takes this story and he says, I want to give you some practical application for your life. So verse 13, someone from the crowd. So all this weighty teaching is going on. Someone from the crowd goes, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
And Jesus graciously says, friend, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? And so now he, he says that to that guy, one guy, and then he turns to the crowd and he goes, watch out, be on your guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possession. Well, then he says this, then he begins to tell him this parable, this heavenly story with an earthly meaning. And he says, a rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, hmm, what should I do? What should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and store up all my grain and my goods there. Uh-huh. Then I'll say to myself, self? You have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But verse 20 starts with a but, a big but. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? You're going to die, you're going to check out, and all of this stuff doesn't mean a thing to you. And it's just going to kind of get scattered. And then Jesus adds this addendum. That's how it is with the one who stores up treasures for himself and isn't rich toward God. I want you to think about that story for a second, and I'm going to have you share in just a couple of minutes. What did you hear from that story? What's the thing that kind of maybe kind of goes 3D from the page for you? Now, let me give you a few things that it isn't saying, okay, while you're thinking about that. This story is not saying this. It's not saying that it's wrong to plan ahead for your future, to save money for your future, for retirement or buying something. It's not saying that at all. It's not saying that it's wrong to retire. It's, it's not saying that it's wrong to have or to expand a business or a home or something that you have unless expanding or having has you. As a matter of fact, there's an interesting scripture. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verses 12 through 13. Paul is talking to the church at Corinth And he says, listen, God has given me a field. God has given me a lot in life. And I am neither going to brag beyond it, nor am I going to extend myself outside of it. But what does that mean? Well, it means this. Every one of us, loved ones, God has given us an area in life, a field, a lot, a place. And what he wants all of us to know is that at some point we have to be content with that. Does that mean we shouldn't have some healthy ambition? No. But you know, a lot of people say, and I see a lot of people that go, oh, I'm going to be a millionaire by this time, or I'm going to be a millionaire before I die. And I go, really? You know, you, sorry, but you don't really have the skills to do that. That's not being judgmental. It's just making a judgment. I mean, you just know, you know, because they haven't saved a dime and they're 45. And, and, and there's just things that you know. You're going to have some, some financial and monetary acumen probably to do that unless it comes through an inheritance. 
So, so Paul says, listen, you've got this area. And he says, I'm not going to brag beyond it, and I'm not going to live outside of it. How many churches do we see, and how many ministries on TV do we know about that go bankrupt because they extended themselves too much too quickly that wasn't necessarily God's will? How many homes get foreclosed on? Because maybe they bought that because it's such a great deal, but yet they didn't really pursue and ask God. So this story isn't about not, you know, having some healthy ambition to move business or your home, whatever, forward, as long as it doesn't have you and control you. Jesus says, be on your guard against greed, and really it's greed that leads to materialism. Churches don't often talk about these kinds of things. So what is it? Well, what what Jesus is talking about here is the desire for what we don't have or wanting more than what we already have enough of. So what do we do? We work harder to spend more to get more. Jesus says, guard yourself against it. Jesus is talking about some serious issues in this story. And all of a sudden, this guy, just really random, hey, Jesus, rabbi, teacher, I got a problem here, a little inheritance issue with my brother. Can you help me out? Can you settle the dispute? And I have to understand, in, 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 in the time of Palestine, that wouldn't have been an unusual request per se, maybe a different setting. But Jesus was becoming such a respected rabbi that it was just, it was just totally random. And now Jesus does what he does so well. He shifts things very quickly. He refuses to be drawn into this dispute about money, and instead he uses it as kind of a teaching moment for all the people that are listening. So the guy says, Jesus, talk to my brother. Help me out here. Do something. And Jesus' classic response starts with a friend, and then it's kind of confronted. He says, man, who made me a judge or divider or arbitrator? over your issue of concern. Now, kind of a sidebar here. It's important to note that those who want to be involved in ministry or involved in ministry, this is kind of an important principle that I have had to learn over the years. Jesus didn't first and foremost come to make things right or to make bad people good or good people better. His simple mission on this earth was to make dead people alive. Through the gospel, the good news of what he done, it was to come to make good people alive. Because, see, when people come to Jesus, guess what? When there's a true encounter, then those good things will begin to happen in your life. Change will come. And sometimes we get that missed. We think Jesus wants to make everything good. No, he wants to make dead people spiritually dead people alive because once you're new then the old things begin to pass away behold new comes it's funny because people say oh I found God can I tell you something he was never lost you were I was he found us it was the unrelenting work of the spirit that drew us in it starts with God and it ends with but you see, when you get in ministry, it's really easy to, you get bogged down in thinking that your job or my job is to correct all the rights or somebody, you know, says something wrong or does something wrong. There's times when correction needs to come in. But what I've learned is to back off a little bit. 
Because I'm not the judge, I'm not the arbitrator of people's lives either. And it's so easy in ministry to get bogged down in those things instead of keeping focus on helping people find Jesus. So now Jesus launches into this parable. I love it. God says, you're a fool. Now hear me. That's interesting because to these people, the story that Jesus tells, he literally would probably have been a success from all outward appearances. He would have been on the cover of Jerusalem uh, Fortune 500 because, man, the guy had everything. And he would have been looked up to. But Jesus says, you know something, friends? I've got a little different take on this thing. And so what you're going to see is this man never saw beyond himself. If you look at these verses, 17 and 18, you'll note all the personal pronouns. I put them on your notes there. I do, I don't, I, my crops, I will, I, I'll, my, 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 my. That's a problem. See, his thoughts, all of his words focus on himself and what he wants. Ten times in three quick verses. It's a totally inward focus. And it lacks an upward acknowledgement of the blesser and what happened to this man. He simply focused on getting bloated with the blessers instead of seeing where it came from from the blessing. I say it every week and probably remind you every week because sometimes people don't hear this. Hear me. There's nothing wrong with having. I want you to have all of your desires. I just don't want your desires to have you. Jesus never condemns having. As a matter of fact, I read somewhere, I can't remember where it was, but uh, that, that if that the, that the garment that Jesus uh, wore could have been like a Philip Brooks suit of our day because it said somewhere that it's seamless. So that would have been a pretty expensive garment to wear. Now, the commentator, whoever said that, also said that we believe Jesus only had one, which he doesn't know for sure either. But the point is, Jesus is not against wealth. He's not against stuff or things as long as it never impedes uh, your relationship coming to Jesus or intrudes upon your life in a negative way. See, this man's false assumptions, he believed a couple of things. First of all, he believed that his soul could be satisfied with goods. And a lot of people live in American, with this Americano thought. If I just had this bigger house, this better car, this nicer things, I will be happy. It will not make you happy. It will not satisfy you, because if that's what makes you happy, guess what? As soon as you get it, you will need something new. You'll need something bigger. You'll need something better. I love what President, former President Jimmy Carter once said. He said, the most prosperous nation in the world experiences the greatest stress. Why? Our stress is built around our priority to consume and then maintain. Our nation worships self-indulgence and consumption. See, this guy had it all. He's living the American dream in Luke 12, but guess what? He still wasn't content. He still wasn't happy. He had to get more. And the second thing you'll see about it is that he would, he would have long years to enjoy. He thought he would have long years to enjoy his goods. I hope you all know that everything and everyone has a shelf life. This man had a selfish bent learn, lean, uh, moving toward getting more. Did you know? That on the bottom of your big toe, you all have a shelf life, an expiration date. Because that big toe one day, you're going to have a little string around it 
that says, Bob Jones deceased. Oh, pastor, you're so morbid. Okay, there's not really a date on that. But some of us may get that little thing around our toe. Hear me. I'm not trying to be morbid. I just want to make sure that there's this reality check because that's what Jesus is doing with these people that heard his story. Ultimately, what he's really saying, you're all going to die. And what he's trying to tell them, he says it's about accountability, not accumulation. He says, verse 15, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. A man's life will not be satisfied or fulfilled by the things that he has. It just won't happen. So we need to be careful on guard against possessions beginning to possess us. Be aware of it. It's the accumulation of things in life. It's not the accumulation of things in life. But ultimately, Jesus wants us to be accountable with our life. Sometimes we forget that we're going to stand before him. See, the tragedy of this parable isn't what the man left behind on earth. It's that he sent nothing ahead to heaven before facing God. There was no riches stored up. There was no rewards waiting him. There was nothing to show anything of being a steward before God and living a life that would be honoring Jesus. This was his biggest issue. He was consumed and lived for the kingdom of Satan. Bigger, better, more. I've had two funerals in the last week. Bookended the last two Saturdays. And one of them I shared this scripture. And I really hadn't put much thought into it before until this, I was, I was doing this funeral. But it's from Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. Listen to this. It says, a good name is better than fine perfume. What he's saying is, you know what? Your character is more important than what you have. Perfume in that day would have been very expensive, very, very expensive. And then he says this. He says, and, and the day of one's death is more important than the day of one's birth, which it is. Because one enters you into the process of getting ready for eternity, which is your death, your transition from this life to the next one. And then he says, it's better to go to a house of mourning, a funeral, than to go to a house of feasting. Why? Well, because this is the end of all mankind. Solomon, the wise man, the writer of Ecclesiastes, is saying, listen, go to a funeral, hang out there. It's more important to visit those than it is sometimes feasting because that will remind you we're all going to end up there. It's amazing how many people forget that. That they forget that time, this is the shortest time anybody will ever spend anywhere on this earth. And then after we die, listen, every one of us will stand before Jesus Christ the ultimate judge. Now hear me so that you don't get this mixed up. He judges everybody. But there's two judgments. There's one judgment for those who don't know Christ, who never received him. Okay? That's heaven or hell. But for everyone that has received Jesus Christ, that walked into relationship with him, you will be judged based on what you did with your life, with how you conducted your life, built your character, established how you dealt with money and things. 
Luke 12, 21 says this. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but ultimately is not rich toward God. There's a day of reckoning, loved ones. Small men seek to get. Great men seek to do. Our ultimate call is to build, send things ahead into heaven, to build our character now so that we're living for Christ and we're becoming more and more like him every day in every way. And what you'll see is it's really a heart issue. I mentioned this last week, but I, I, I will probably mention some, something like this almost every week that we never forget. This is simply a heart issue. Following Luke chapter 12, the passage that I just read, Jesus goes into uh, another teaching. Now, listen, don't be anxious for anything. Don't let anxiety take your life because you're so consumed with the things of this earth where moths, where moths and dust come in and they'll begin to corrupt and break down. How many of us know people, they buy more and more and more stuff, and pretty soon they're so consumed because they've got to keep up all the stuff, stuff, stuff. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. He follows up with this parable on the rich man who had much with a story about people who don't have much that are always worrying about it. And he says this, listen, your heart will follow your treasure, not your treasure following your heart. There's this gravitational pull toward the things in our lives. There's my things. Oh, my heart's going to go there. Everybody has this idea that things are going to follow my heart. No, I don't. That's why we get so consumed with stuff and things. A little sidebar. Some of your translations will say that this man in Luke 12, he was talking to his soul. I find that interesting because our soul is the emotional seedbed of our life. What's our, what, what's our soul? It, it, it's the thing that feels. It's what's moved by music. It's what's moved by beauty and art. And it's also what moves us to anger and all these other things. I mean, it's what kind of flows out of us. Wanting to buy. That's an emotional response most of the time, though, isn't it? So this guy's talking to his and for a lot of us, that's what we have to really re-engage with the idea of this because it's ultimately a soul and a heart issue. See, the pull is so strong. It reminds me of the, the young man who turns to his girlfriend. He's been dating her for a long time, and he says to her, Oh, oh, honey, so beautiful. I just I want you to marry me. And, and the reason is is because, well, you know I don't have a whole lot. Not like my friend Bobby Johnson. He's got that beautiful ski boat. He's got that new Porsche and that new BMW that fills his two-car garage and his three-story house. And, and he's got just a lot of money in his bank account, a great retirement and a vacation cabin. And you know I'll never have any of that. And we've been together now for a while. And that's, that's really why I want to marry you. And she's listening to him. And she kind of looks at him in this kind of knowing way. And she goes, oh, honey, that's so sweet. Would you just tell me a little bit more about Bobby Johnson? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you see, I mean, it, it's amazing how quickly our heart can change, isn't it? There's a gravitational pull toward things to take care of them. What if instead of asking for God, asking from God a little bit more, we begin to steward our stuff and our resources, and instead of asking for it, we said, God, you blessed me with so much. What can I do with this and this and this?
Why? Because never forget what the stewards are of. Stewards of you. See, the first thing every one of us has to settle in this issue is this issue of ownership. Whose goods, whose money, whose house, whose stuff is it? A lot of you are going to see, well, you know, it's funny whenever I start talking about money, people can start. I, I know some of you thinking, oh, wow, that's great, Pastor. Thanks. This is a lot of help. And, and others of you are going, really? You're going to tell me what to do with my money? Well, no, no, I'm not. It's just, listen, this is between you and God ultimately. I just want to kind of help you out. People say, well, you know what? I earned that money. I'm the one that's putting in 10-hour 10 10 days and six days a week and blah, blah, blah. I go, okay, yeah, I agree. Yeah, you're a hard worker. That's good. Oh, by the way, who gave you the breath to do it? Okay, I, uh, who gave you the gifts and the skills? Well, I went to college, and I developed those skills. Listen, can I just tell you something? God ultimately started you and gave you some gifts and some skills to be able to do what you do. I know people in our church that they make gobs of money. And it's, and it's not because they're so great. It's because God has gifted them and skilled them in their craft or in their investment abilities. It's not because they're so good and brilliant. It's because they acknowledge, hey, thank you, Jesus, that you did this for me. See, a steward is one who owns nothing but is responsible for everything. And, you know, and listen, loved ones, none of this will make sense until you first of all settle that God is the owner. I am the steward, and I've been blessed with this. If you're reading through the Bible with us, following our Bible reading plan, the first of the year, you would have been reading in Genesis and Luke. Now, what's interesting, a week ago today, you would have read the very story that I just read from here in Luke 12 about this I, I, my, my, me, me. If you're reading this last week, you would have read on Thursday um, Genesis 39 about Joseph. And I never put these two things together until this week. And I've probably done this Bible reading plan for years, probably because I knew I was going to be preaching on this subject. But um, the, the thing that was really interesting to me is that last week I read about this I, me, my, 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 my guy. He was an owner. And then I read about Joseph, Genesis 39. Remember when he worked for Potiphar? God raises him up, takes him out of slavery, and, 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 and gives him position. This is what is said, and God blessed him, and God blessed uh, Joseph. God's spirit was upon Joseph, and God blessed Potiphar's house, and God did this. You read it four or five times in the book of, of Genesis, in, in the chapter 39 of Genesis. It's a, powerful, it's a powerful comparison and contrast between a steward and an owner. Because see, back in the New Testament day, back in the day of Joseph, and back in the beginning, the rich people, the well-off, the kings, the queens, the pharaohs, whoever, the people with position and money, they would have stewards that would come in and oversee their assets and their affairs. And that person knew that they were not an owner. They were a steward to take care of it. And they knew this. They had to be accountable to that person. And Joseph says, God, everything you've given me, it's because of you. And I'm going to steward this for Potiphar. And if you read Joseph's, Joseph's life, all the way through from Genesis 39 on, everything is, and he goes through some, some, some Paul Weed, some deep kimchi, man, bad stuff. And all the time, it's all about Jesus, God blessing him. Now hear me, 
This isn't some kind of prosperity thing where you do the right thing all the time and God, he'll always bless you. And when I talk about blessing, it is not about money. It's about character. It's about life. It's about protection and about provision. And if I understand that I don't own but manage, it'll be easier to responsibly give back to the master and be accountable to the master for what I do. I told you last week about my good and precious friend who's my financial advisor and takes care of my retirement account and my savings account. And he's been such a blessing to me for a number of years and, and has helped me to get to where I could never get on my own. But you know what he knows? He knows not to spend my money. Matter of fact, he can't even access it can't spend it. And he wouldn't. And I trust him implicitly. You know why? Because he knows he doesn't steal. I'm the owner. And so he'll come to me uh, at least a couple of times a month. Just, just two hours. You will need this. That way, this is what I could do. Can you take a flyer on this? And I say, push in the chips, brother, because I trust you and I believe in you. I don't worry about it because he is a steward. And I know his one goal is to make sure that I'm taken care of in my future. Could, and, and can, can we do that? Can we do that as a steward with the things that God has blessed us with? Where we realize, you know what? I'm going to take care of this. See, this unilateral principle is throughout the scriptures, loved ones. There's two parables. There's one in Matthew 25, Luke 19. Jesus comes to three people. One of them, he gives them gifts and talents. One of them, he gives them money in, this, in, in, in the parables. And he says, here's 10, here's five, here's one. Now you go out and you do commerce with it. You, make, you turn around a profit for me because I'm coming back and I'm going to hold you accountable. And Jesus is saying that that's how I operate with every person that comes into the kingdom of God. There's an accountability for the gifts and talents that I've given you as well as the resources that you've been blessed with. Never forget that you, that it belongs to me and I will come back and I will give you a time. Two in each story did something with it and they were received and they were blessed. Another one was reprimanded. There's a unilateral principle across the biblical board. But you know something? Everything of our life is ultimately God's. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, but you were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. See, loved ones, this, this, this principle is throughout the scripture. You're not your own. You're bought with a price, a very high price, the very blood and life of Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son. You belong to Him. All of you walk, stock, and barrel. But so often, we as Christ followers, <coughs> excuse me, we, we, we have a tendency to want to compartmentalize our lives. Spiritual and sacred versus secular. This is my money, my sexuality, my things, my time. Fill in your my blank. Because ultimately, it's all God. And you are 
God simply manages for him. You're managing your body for him. If you're a single, that'll slap the slack out of your face. If you're a husband that mistreats your wife, you're mistreating God's daughter. If you in your life, if you're if you're mistreating your body, eating poorly or whatever, and taking care of your body, you're mistreating God's body. He says, I want you. So let me close with just a few quick principles. Number one, each of us has to determine our own standard of living. Someone said it very well. If your outgo exceeds your income, that will eventually be your downfall. And each one of us really does. We need to answer that question, don't we? How does God want me to live? If we don't determine this, we will drift into a naturally consumer-oriented buy undisciplined, spend life, spending life that doesn't honor God or help our lives move forward in this life. We live in a consumer culture that wants to acquire. And listen, you're going to go home. A lot of us are going to watch football as soon as we go home today. Guess what? You know what the most of those commercials are going to say? Bye, 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 bye. Not this kind. <laughs> it's going to say bye. Get this. You want to be cuter? Get this. You want to lose some weight? Get this. You want to have some better war paint for your face, ladies? Get this. You know? Get some, you know, get some of this oil of old age, man. It'll take care of everything. And uh, and, and and that's what this, this this these commercials will tell us. When do you have enough? Well, Jesus said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus challenges us in our desire. You know what one of the biggest businesses in the United States is right now? I mean, if you just look in Martinez, I know this. I've seen, uh, I think there's three of them that have come up since I've been here. Storage units. <laughs> we got a store. Now, what's interesting is the American family has shrunk, I think, in the last 30 or so years by a half a child. While the houses have gotten bigger and we have more storage units. Well, what's that say? My goodness, we're becoming consumers of more and more stuff. Jesus challenges us. I said it last week. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. What? Where moths and doves and things can come in and corrupt and destroy. I think I told you last week I had a car, a, 90, a 99 Honda. Ran great. No dents in it. This last year, I took it off uh, comprehensive. I just had collision. Took it off comp. So uh, my son, whom I love dearly, but he ended up totaling it. And um, what I realized is it's garbage. It's garbage. And then I knew I was doing pretty good because I wasn't just in this big hurry to get a new car. I knew I'd come up and get one sooner or later. I want to determine what my standard of living is going to be. So I'm going to, secondly, live by a plan. See, once you determine the appropriate standard of living, then you have to plan on how you're going to reach that goal. Some would use the word budget. 
it's, it's not restrictive at all whatsoever. It's very freeing. Now, let me just say this very clearly. I don't have this really strict budget, but Trina and I have been talking since the middle of December about what we're going to do going into this new year to begin to, 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 to ramp up some of our budgetary process. For instance, um, you know, m- many of you know that two years ago our house flooded, two and a half years ago, our house flooded and everything was destroyed and uh, most of it was destroyed and we had to have a basically a new interior. And at that time it was really cool because everything inside, about 95% of it was out in this driveway pod and in our driveway and a few things out in back. We started scratching our heads thinking, man, what do we really need? And so at that point, as we started moving back in, you, 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 we just started getting rid of stuff and selling it and you know, giving it to people because we really don't need that much. So going into this year, we have continued to say we are going to work even harder at simplifying and cutting back. So we're doing, you know, we're, I mean, we've already started, we started talking about we're going to do things like, you know, instead of having our Christmas trees lit for three months straight, 24-7, you know, we'll probably cut that back to a month. So we're looking at all these different ways to cut our budget and our, our expenditures so we can do more with our money. You see, the average family's ambition is simply to make as much money as they spend. And that's not a good way to live. So let me give you four things when you deal with your money as you start making your plan. And I'll kind of unpack these a little bit more in the next couple weeks. Number one, the first thing you do is you give to God. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all you have. That means the top of the barrel, man, the top of the bush, the first thing. See, you get a plan for that. See, most of us come to church and, and uh, you know, most of you are pretty glad probably, but we don't talk a lot about offering, and I don't say we're going to receive an offering now. It's just right here in the middle of this thing. So we'll kind of come in, oh, wow, pastor's talking about money. I think I'm going to give, okay, I got eight bucks in cash. Mm. Ah, I'll throw in three, keep them happy. Ah, I feel guilty. Darn it, I'll give five. Just give all eight. You know, big spender this Sunday. You know, we kind of do that. We don't have a plan for it. God says, I want you to make it a priority. And I want it to be the first of what you have. The second thing is taxes. Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, Mark 12, 17. Paul said in Romans 13, 7, give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. I always try to think stories. My dad, my dad was really a unique character. And uh, about probably 15 years or so before he died, he, he, he worked, and he got into this kind of right-wing Republican American patriot group. And, 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 and some of those people, they started they quit paying their taxes. And I go, oh, man. Because every time I'd see him, you know, because I was in Bible college at the time, and then I went into ministry after that. Oh, quit paying your taxes, blah, 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 you know. And I go, oh, whatever. And... Um, because uh, the Bible says pay your taxes. And I tried to show him that. Ah, I forgot. I was old, you know. And he had all these reasons that were just really like crazy. So what happens is, is fairly soon, after five, six, seven years, I can't remember the exact time frame, but he, uh, at his work, they started uh, taking his, the taxes that he, back taxes that he owed out of his check, which left him with 
basically nothing. So what was his next step? Well, if I can take all my money that I'm working for, I'm going to quit. So he quit and never got another job and the rest of the time lived with my stepmother in an apartment and my stepmother supported him. And I go, man, that's not right. So when he died, nobody, he, he left nothing. I got a putter from him and a Bible and a bill to help bury him. Pay your taxes. Take every loophole, you not loophole, but take every advantage of whatever the loopholes are that you can use, but pay your taxes. Third thing is, is debt retirement. Psalm 37.21 says the wicked borrow and don't repay. If you don't repay those who loaned you money, you're stealing from them. Pay it back. Romans 13a says, let no debt remain outstanding except to pay debt or love one another. Oh, no, no, listen, don't love them. Work. Make your plan now. If you're in debt, start working to get out. And the fourth thing is do saving. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8 says we ought to learn from the ant and save first. I re recommend you do it automatically. Start saving. Now, I'm going to unpack those things a little bit more biblically in the next couple weeks. But hear me, last thing. We want to live in a way that we value, listen, we want to value what heaven values. We want to major everything in light of eternity and heavenly values. Whether that's our sexuality or our money, our prayer life, our giving. J.C. Ryle said it really well. The fear of punishment, the desire of reward, the sense of duty are all arguments in their own way to, uh, to persuade people to holiness, to right living. But they are all weak and powerless until the person loves Christ. I said it at the beginning, the gospel, the good news is that God has acted in Jesus Christ to save us. He's come to our rescue, reconciling us to himself, redeeming us, giving us the opportunity, the plan and the purpose and the focus for eternity. If he does nothing else for us, loved ones, we've got the total and best package. But to experience a little more heaven down here, we have to respond to that and live in it and do it his way, not my way, our way. When you know Christ's love, you'll simply respond in love in return. And when you really love somebody, you trust them and you'll do what they say because you trust them. Amen.